in the middle of a series called uh, Saturating Our Lives in Our Community with Jesus. And we've done a couple of weeks on that already. We looked at the fact that we were saved by Jesus. He's the better saviour. And we looked at last week that within that, we are to be disciples making disciples. That That is what we're to be on about. That is our core mission as people who follow Jesus is to see other people to follow Jesus as well. Uh, having our lives saturated with Jesus and having other people's lives saturated with Jesus as well. That's the core business of you and I, and that's the core business of the church, us gathered, because that was the core business of Jesus. And so this week we're going to be thinking a bit more about what it means to be who we are, our identity. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to kick into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good it is to gather together, how good it is to spend time singing and praying and praising and even jumping and dancing around, Lord. Uh, it's so good to be here together to do that, Lord. I want to praise you and thank you for that. We, Lord, we look forward as we think about who we are, as we think about our identity. Lord, we pray that this morning we will go from here, people who are deeply encouraged, uh, changed and uh, transform people, Lord, because of, we understand who we are in you. Uh, Lord, we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know, when uh, you go to a party and you get introduced to people and you introduce your name, what is the very next question that anyone asks you? That's exactly right, isn't it? What do you do? It's funny, isn't it? Because that's not all that we are, is it? What do we do? So suddenly, the most important thing anyone else needs to know about you is the job that you do. Uh, the thing that you get on with during the week, the things that you are doing. It's funny, isn't it, that we've actually moved into a society now that we are defined by what we do, not who we are. You're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a builder, you're a mum, you're a dad, you're a teacher, you're a labourer, your work defines who you are and in some ways it's easy to talk about that too isn't it? You can go into that and you can talk about that. In some sense there is an element of easing into the conversation but when has anyone come up to you and asked you and said, g'day my name's such and such, have they ever said to you, who are you? You see we're not human doings, we are human beings. What we do isn't who we are. What we do comes from who we are. There's a difference, isn't it? Who we are should drive what we do, not the other way around. We shouldn't be defined by the things that we do with our hands and out here, but we should be defined by who we are on the inside. Uh, that'd be an interesting question to ask them, wouldn't it? Next time you're with them, ask them, who are you? Don't go to what you do. Go to who are you? Be interested to see what their answer is, isn't it? Oh, when? I'm a builder? No, 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 no. Who are you? We want to know who you are on the inside. What's your passion? What's your drive? What is it that makes up who you are? What is it is your character about? What drives you? What's your passion? What's your purpose? What's your meaning? What really grabs you from in here that enables you to go out and do what you do? Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're going to be thinking about... Who are we? Who are we when we put our trust in Jesus? 
Who are we when we're a disciple of Jesus? Who are we when we're a follower of Jesus? Who are we if our lives are being saturated with Jesus? What does that mean for us on our innermost being? And we're going to look at that over the next three weeks. We're going to start this week uh, and we're going to do that for the next two weeks as well. Thinking about our identity, who we are in Jesus. So Les is going to come up and he's going to read to us from Romans chapter 8. If anyone knows me, Romans chapter 8 is my most favourite part of the Bible. Uh, It's got lots in it, but he's going to read to us from verses... 5 to 17. That's it. 5 to 17. I'll give you a minute to look it up if that's what you're doing. Is it on the screen as well? Yeah. There we go. So it's Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit, if you, the Spirit you received Bought you about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Thanks, Liz. It's a great passage, isn't it? And lots in there. Today we're going to concentrate on particularly verses 12 to 17 as we get there. Uh, But firstly, uh, there's a whole lot of things in Romans chapter 8 that state who we are. Uh, And the very first thing, if you've got your Bibles open, flip back to verse 1 because verse 1 of chapter 8 is a fantastic verse that sets up the rest of chapter 8 as well. Uh, You'll see there's a good flow in the argument as Paul works through the chapter about who we are. And uh, if you look in there, we see firstly, I want to say to you that we are saved. That's us. Look at Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful statement that. 
just that first sentence says that when we put our trust in Jesus, when we stand with Jesus, God looks at us and everything that we have done wrong has been removed from us. God's judgment on the stuff that we've done wrong against him, our rebellion against him, our sin against him. Remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at when we do stuff that God doesn't want us to do, we're actually against God himself. All of that rebellion that we've had is gone. The judgment for it is gone. No more. We have been given a completely clean slate by Jesus. That is wonderful news, isn't it? That should just make us bounce up and down and do Abraham's dance completely, shouldn't we? Shake every bit of our body. It is beautiful news. It is the most, that is a statement that you want to keep repeating in your head. No condemnation for us. Completely clean slate. And now no longer do we live to the flesh, but we live by the Spirit, it says there, who walk after the flesh, uh, but after, who, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So there's no condemnation in those that trust in Jesus. When we put our trust in Jesus, we have our slate clean. We stand with Jesus and now we live for Jesus. That's what it means to live by the Spirit, is we live a life that is saturated by Jesus. That we live a life that is led by Jesus. We live a life that is biased towards Jesus now. I've used this illustration in the past, but for those of you who are bowls enthusiasts, uh, or have done in the past, or one day in the future will be, you'll know that a bowls ball has a bias, doesn't it? That you can send it down its, its way and it'll go towards that bias every time. It'll head towards that bias, unless you really throw it really hard and you can go straight down. But even if that had a long enough track, it would eventually go off on its bias. Before we knew Jesus, our bias was away from God. That was our set path. You and I, on our own, by ourselves, would actually want to go away from God. Not towards the kitty, away from it. But if you read through the rest of Romans 8, and we see then that, and even that verse 1, and then you read from verse 1 down to verse 11, I think the passage is saying to us that when we put our trust in Jesus, when our slate has been cleaned, when we have no condemnation, our bias now will be towards God. And towards Jesus. Because we'll be led by the Spirit. The Spirit will be our bias, not sin. The Spirit will be our bias, not flesh. We'll actually start to live a life that will take us towards Jesus. Now we're not going to live the perfect life and we're not going to hit the kitty. We're not going to actually hit it all because we on our imperfect greens and our bowls aren't perfectly made. But our bias will be we'll be led by the Spirit. That's who we are. We are people who have been saved by Jesus, who have been led by the Spirit, who have a bias towards him and not away from him. That's who you and I are. And not only are we that, but we are children of God. That is a beautiful statement, isn't it? You and I are children of God. When we trust in Jesus and we stand in him and are led by him. Uh, if you look at the passage that we've got, 
Uh, have a look at the number of times it's mentioned, isn't it? From verse 14 down, if you look, it goes, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Uh, verse 13, that we've been adopted to sonship. Uh, in verse 13, straight up, that, by him we call him Abba Father. That's a dad term, that's a child term, isn't it? Uh, we are God's children. Now if we are children, we have been brought into God's family. When we are part of God, when we trust and believe in Jesus, we have been brought into his family. Do you notice that's not for everyone, isn't it? Notice it's for those who are led by the Spirit of God are called children of God. And those who are led by the Spirit of God are people who have no more condemnation because they stand with Jesus because they're saved by Jesus. If you have put your trust in Jesus, then you are God's children, a son or a daughter to him. And you are in a privileged position. An absolutely privileged position. And it's all because of Jesus and not because of you. It's because of what he's done. I don't know where you're at. It's worth thinking about whether you are a child of God. If you've put your trust in Jesus then you are. If you haven't, can I encourage you to think about doing it? Because it's the best place in the world to be. It's to be in God's family, now and for eternity. Because in God's family, there are phenomenal things that are ours. First of all, that we're empowered by the Spirit. That we actually are led by the Spirit that the Spirit of Jesus lives within us and enables us to live for him. That is a phenomenal thing, isn't it? And the Spirit leads us, but the Spirit also testifies to our spirit that we are in God's family. Look at that, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We can have that assurance. We can know for sure that God is our Father, that we are in his family forever. He testifies to our spirit. You might say, well, that's a bit uh, nebulous, Paul. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Is it just a feeling? Is it just a sense? Well, I actually think the passage gives us a couple of indications of what that is. I'm going to give you two from this passage and then one from another passage in the Bible, which I think is helpful for us to understand and to be assured that we are saved and part of God's family. And the first one goes back to verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of, a, of your body, you will live. If you're led by the Spirit, you will actually want to put to death the things that disapprove God. Sin, you want to put to death sin. You won't want to have it around you. You won't want to cozy up to it. You won't want to just put it beside you and say, well, that one's okay. I'm not going to deal with that at the moment. I'm happy with the way that that's going in my life at the moment. Yeah, no, it might be against God and it might be causing sin, but I don't really want to get rid of that at the moment. I want to hold on to that. You won't do that. What you want to do is you'll say, I want to kill that. I want to fight sin. 
if you trust and believe in Jesus, if you are part of his family, if the spirit is within you, then he'll work within you to want to fight sin. He will testify to your spirit that you don't want to cozy up to it. Uh, in Vanuatu, they have a great saying that when they uh, kill something, they say, give them dead. Uh, when we were in on the island uh, a couple of years ago, they brought up a pig to sacrifice. And they said, we got to kill them dead. Kill them dead, that pig. I don't know how else you kill someone. It's either you're dead or you kill them. But kill them dead. It's this concept, though, that kill and dead and it's gone. It's wiped out. No more. Completely removed. I think that's what that passage is saying to us, with us, with sin. We want to kill them dead, sin. We want to stamp it out. We don't want to cozy up to it. We don't want to put our arm around it and say, I'm going to be okay with that for the moment. We want to kill it. And I think I'm guilty of not killing it a number of times. There are moments in my life when I think, ah, it's not causing a whole lot of problem at the moment. Just hold on to that. But then the Spirit testifies with my spirit and says, no, Paul, you cannot put up with that. You've got to kill it. Kill them dead, that's sin. Uh, I've been spending time with a gentleman in town during the week. and He's become a follower of Jesus just recently. And he's working through all these sorts of things. And one week he came to me and said, Paul, I'm just really frustrated with my sin. I keep doing this stuff against God. I keep doing it. I'm really annoyed with it. And I said, great! That's a good thing, mate. What I'd really be worried about is if you said, oh, I'm really, it's still there and I'm loving it. And I want to keep doing it. I want to keep getting angry with those people that really frustrate me. I really want to keep punching them in the head. I really want to go off the show at my grandmother more often. No! He was getting frustrated with it. He hated it. He didn't like it. I said, mate, that's the spirit working in you. Kill them dead. That sin that's just wanting to hang on to your leg. I think that's one way to know that we're part of God's family, we're part of God's children. That's how the Spirit testifies to us. And the second one is, it says, when the Spirit within us, we cry, Abba, Father. And this is a deep, internal sense that we need a real dad. We may have dads in our lives that aren't perfect, but we get glimpses of them, don't we? And God, the Father, is the perfect Father. You love it, don't you, when kids, uh, even when they get older and they call you Dad, when my kids ring up and they cry out Dad to me, I think, oh no, I owe them money, or they owe me, or they need money, or their car's broken down. But it's still a lovely feeling, isn't it, when your child calls out to you and you feel that sense, Dad or Mum. It's a sense of dependence, isn't it? It's a sense of need. It's a cry that comes from internal. This isn't just, I'm figuratively Dad, I'm just something out here, I'm a picture of Dad. No, I'm real Dad to them. And they cry, it's something that comes from within them. And that's what this passage said to the Spirit will come from within us and it will be cry from within us to call out to our Father, our Heavenly Father, Dad, I need you. I want you. Because you are my father. 
And Abba is a dad term. It's a really familial term. It's like, that sense, it's not just, uh, I know doctrinally that my God is dad, but I know in my heart that God is dad. That's what the Spirit cries within us. And the third thing is not in our passage, but it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, which says to us, unless the Spirit of God within us, we cannot call and cry out that Jesus is Lord. Now that's not recognising that Jesus is just Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, that he's in control and that all my life needs to come under his control. That's what the cry of Jesus Lord is. It's not just a recognition of Jesus. It's not just even knowing about Jesus. It's saying Jesus is Lord. He is the one who's in control of my life. And when we cry that out, then we know that the Spirit is testifying within us that we are God's children. How good is that? We're empowered by the Spirit. We have the Spirit that lives within us that enables us and helps us to kill them dead sin that works within our spirit to cry out to the creator of all, God, my father, dad. He says from the inmost being of ourselves that Jesus is Lord, I want to live for you, Jesus, and for you to control me. That's who we are, guys, in Jesus. We are children of God who have a phenomenal inheritance in him. It says that we're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That is mind-blowing stuff. Have you ever thought that before? Do you know when it says heirs and co-heirs, it doesn't mean that you just get a part of, all right, you get a section of what God's got. You get a little part of what Jesus has got. No, heirs and co-heirs means you get the whole lot. You get everything that's God's, everything that's Jesus. You get it all. That picture that uh, that Les said back in Genesis chapter 1 of standing in the garden with God in perfection, with no storms, perfect relationships, we get all of that and God himself. We get the lot. Who knows who that is? Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla. Uh, and do you know what he did just recently? He gave away, he, he, or he's giving away 99% of his fortune away. And Mark Zuckerberg is the guy that's done Facebook, alright? So he's got billions of dollars. So they reckon that 99% of his money that he's giving away is $46 billion this bloke's about to give away. And they've got a child. And they wrote a letter to their child on Facebook, obviously, because you've got to have, everyone's got to know what you're telling your children, don't you? And there's no, they don't want to build themselves up here or not, but they've sold everyone who's on Facebook this, anyway. Um, so they put it on Facebook and they've written a letter to their child and they're telling their child that they're going to give away 99% of their fortune, $46 billion, uh, so that they can create a better world for their child. So they think the best inheritance for their child that's growing up is not the money, but a better world. Hey, it's admirable, isn't it? It's quite admirable. 
but they're going to fail. Great thing to do, but they're going to fail, aren't they? Mark Zuckerberg does not have the money or the power to make this world perfect. Might be slightly better, or it could be slightly worse, because we find lots of ways to find out about sin, don't we, as we go on. I was reading an article this morning on, uh, on the artificial intelligence and they reckon that in the next 50 to 60 years they will be able to think like us and a lot of people are predicting not a good ending. Yeah, they've seen that movie. <laughs> but these guys think that if they're going to give away their inheritance, great thought, that they're going to give a better world to their child. Well, God gives his complete inheritance to you. That's stunning, isn't it? It's phenomenal stuff, really. It just blows your mind. You're going to get everything that God's got's going to be yours. You're going to get this perfect created world redone, remodeled, revamped. You're going to get him. You're going to get the presence of God. What did Adam and Eve do? They walked with God. They were able to have conversations with him face to face in a sense. We're going to have God as well. We're going to get this perfect world. We're going to get God as well. We're going to have perfect relationships with each other. And the passage goes on later to say that you and I are going to have perfect bodies. Don't have to worry about diets. Don't have to worry about weights. You're going to look the perfect you. How good is that? But not just physically, but who you are internally. If you read on the rest of Romans chapter 8, you will see that we're going to struggle and groan here and now, but we are waiting for the day when we're going to get our best bodies. The best us. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Man, I'm playing touch football these days. I'm 48 against 18-year-olds. And man, I need a new body. <laughs> Unbelievable the amount of times I go to, oh, where did he go? Man, <laughs> times I bust through the line, I think I'm there. Tap. 17-year-old comes up and gets me again. Two-step. I do bust through the line. <laughs> I'm two steps through. I'm only two steps, I'm not three steps. But how would I love to have that body just to burn them off? I don't think that's the go, is it? The go is that we will have perfect bodies, but we'll be the perfect you and me, the perfect us. All that garbage in our personalities and our sin, the stuff we muck up, the things that we do wrong, the things when we hurt people, the things that we say, the lies that we tell, we won't be doing that. They'll be gone. That's our inheritance, guys. As children of God, that's ours. It's got to be good to look forward to, doesn't it? And it helps us now too. Because here and now we're going to have suffering. It's not going to be like that. Look at what the rest of the verse says. Oh, we'll jump past that. Um, the rest of the verse says that we're going to suffer. That it's going to be tough here and now. Isn't it? But we can get through that toughness here and now because we know our inheritance is secure in Jesus. This world we will groan and it will be hard and it will be tough and we will get sick and we will hurt each other. But within that we can keep walking towards our great inheritance. 
Because we're children of God, empowered by the Spirit. So we can walk that line now. People call Evans Head, Heaven's Head, don't they, at times? My son works in a coffee shop called Heaven. That's a bit pitiful, really, isn't it? You know, people actually come to Evans Head and don't like it sometimes. Strange, isn't it? Bob's got no idea that can happen. They do. They come, they get bad weather, surf doesn't go off, they find the place clicky, they leave. This is not heaven, guys. The coffee shop my son works in is not heaven. I think we throw that term around a little bit too loosely. Because it blows everything out of the water. It's phenomenal. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be everything that we can possibly imagine and more. There's going to be no one who's going to walk into heaven, get there, be there, be part of that and go, oh man, I'm disappointed. This is not as good as I thought it was going to be. They're not going to do that. They go, wow, this is so much better than I thought it was going to be. How good is going to be everything that is pleasurable here and now will be beyond that. People say, you know, but there's not going to be sex in heaven because we're not going to be married. Well, let me tell you, God is not going to let you down on that. Whatever God does with sex, it's going to be far better when we get to heaven. I don't know what. We're not told that. But it's going to be far better than that. I'm going to trust him in that. That's what a lot of people think, don't they? It's going to be better than that. Far better than that. That's our inheritance, guys. That's what we have when we trust and believe in Jesus, when we stand with him. We're saved. We're God's children. And we're family as well. We, you and I, when we trust in Jesus, are brothers and sisters. We are family. Remember the song? We are family. I've got all my sisters in me. Well, we are family because we've got Jesus' spirit in us. That's even better than bloodlines. We have God's spirit in us. We are family because of that. We are connected because of that. We are interconnected because of that. And we are therefore to love one another like family. Because we are brothers and sisters together in that. Now that's not easy, is it? Let's be honest. It's easy to say, isn't it? I love you like my brothers and sisters. I love you like my blood family. Uh, I find that hard, guys, to be honest with you. And if you're honest with yourself, I'm sure you find it hard to love me like your immediate blood family as well. But we can't do that by ourselves. We can only do that by the Spirit within us. That's our aim. That's where we want to be. You see, I don't think the Bible wants us to, to diminish our blood family, but it wants us to raise our God family. Not to put down our blood family so that we don't love them and care for them, but to raise our God family to the same level. So that you and I actually do seek to love one another as brothers and sisters, as family. That's where we want to be. We may not be there that way, and I'm sure I'm not that way with all of you either. 
But that's where God wants us to move towards, to us being able to love one another like family, like brothers and sisters, because we have God's spirit within us to help us do that. How good is it, guys? Oh, there you go. We are family. So who are you? When someone asks you that next time, who are you? Maybe you could say this to them. If you can read that, I can just read it. I am a loved child of God who is empowered by the Spirit with an inheritance that will blow your mind, who will endure suffering knowing that these truths and who will seek to love those around me as family. How about you try and say that to someone next time they ask you? Hey, what do you do? I don't want to tell you what I do. I want to tell you who I am. Because that's who we are, guys. We are loved children of God, empowered by the Spirit, with an inheritance that will blow your mind. And knowing these truths, we can walk through this broken world, this suffering world, and we're going to seek to love each other like brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is phenomenal stuff when we sit back and think about uh, who we are in Jesus and your identity, that we are saved, that we are your children, that we are family together. Lord, we pray that your spirit will testify to our spirit, Lord, so that we know this, that your spirit will work within us to empower us to live this out. That we'll know so deeply who we are in you, Lord, that it will be seen in the way that we live and love one another like brothers and sisters. Lord, it's not easy and by ourselves and of ourselves we can't do it. But with your spirit, Lord, all things are possible. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.